This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, November 2nd, 2020 edition of Invest Talk, and I appreciate you all tuning in today. And I would love to hear from each and every one of you. If you have a question, don't hesitate to reach out on our listener line, 88899 chart, and voice your concerns, your questions, whatever is on your mind. Now, today is November 2nd, which means tomorrow is November 3rd, and the big day, election day. And, you know, I could sit here and prognosticate and that's, uh, I think, more for the, the pundits to really uh, hash out. You know, they're the ones looking at the data and everything. But what is most important is how the market is reacting or will react. And you're already starting to see a little bit of reaction. Now, clearly, the odds makers, those that, uh, you know, are, are taking bets on the, the outcome and then have the most money at stake for all of this, uh, they're, they're pricing in a good chance that Biden wins, a decent chance that there is a blue wave, and the market is starting to price that in as well. What you're starting to see here are small caps and value stocks outperforming the growth side of the market. You had the NASDAQ today, down, let's see, was it down? And down ended up still about 46 points, but that was minor compared to what the rest of the market did. The S&P was up 40 points as well, but obviously on a much lower base, right? 3,300 versus the NASDAQ is at 11,000. So you could see the S&P did better than the NASDAQ and small caps, the Russell did even better than that because they're concentrated. Russell was up 2% today. You're starting to see a breakout of smaller caps, value names compared to these tech stocks. And a lot of this has to do, I believe, and a lot of analysts are believing that this is a positioning for a, a blue wave, uh, more stimulus that is going to impact positively smaller companies right that have more exposure to the domestic economy the real economy right main street you're talking about industrial companies uh maybe even uh energy companies renewable energy companies uh different areas of the market or the economy that uh have been overshadowed over the past decade plus of the growth names right your tech names which i think there's gonna be more scrutiny there under either administration and I think from a tax perspective, even more so under a Biden administration, right? There's uh, stories about you know, Amazon not paying taxes and all these companies that are investing in their business, shall they say, and not producing, quote unquote, a profit, even though their cash flow is very large and finding ways to you know, move entities offshore. And frankly, I'm not saying that's, a, that, that's something that they're doing anything wrong. Right. These are CFOs. These are management that have a fiduciary duty to shareholders to maximize profitability and maximize uh, their 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 shareholder base. Right. The, the value for the shareholders. And so they're just operating within the rules that are made. And I can I, I think what the market is saying with many of these is that there's going to be more scrutiny on the tax taxes on that side, but also 
if you can get the economy moving, right, you put money into stimulus to get the economy to recover out of a still, even though we had a rebound in the third quarter, it's still about a third, uh, we've only recovered about two thirds of the drop in the first half of the year. So there's still a long ways to go. And it's also showing up in the bond market. You're seeing the 10 year rate rising, interest rates rising, and that is pricing in higher inflation, a stronger economic recovery. So very interesting trend prior to the election, which still nobody knows exactly how it's going to play out, but uh, we'll know probably about this time tomorrow, right? I'm recording this at 4 p.m. Pacific time. So seven o'clock Eastern. I think by that time tomorrow, we'll have a decent chance of knowing, knowing the end outcome. So uh, we'll talk about that more on tomorrow's show. But I'm Justin Klein, and today in this program and podcast, I am going to do my best to provide you with unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. I know you want strategies to help deal with volatility, and I'm here. I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now, as you can tell, I have a lot to talk about on today's show, many articles that we're going to discuss that are relevant in today's world uh, to help you make better decisions, and that's my goal. So let's get to our first caller, though, at 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Paul from Hawaii. I have a question about earnings. So when a company actually exceeds earnings and the stock takes a huge fall, does that mean we're kind of in a bubble to where stocks are overpriced? Look forward to hearing your answers. Thank you. Now, in general, I would say kind of no. Uh, but you are actually hitting on something that's interesting to look at turning points in, uh, in stocks. And in a vacuum, if earnings come out and it sounds like they exceed expectations, but they go down, that could just mean that the expectations within the market, right? There's expectations that quote unquote analysts are saying, uh, they're going to produce when it comes to earnings. There's also what ranges the company has put out for shareholders as expectations. But there's also what is called the whisper numbers. So what the street is kind of talking about, maybe to their clients, et cetera, and what they're expecting for the actual number to be. And oftentimes, say the analysts are expecting a dollar, the whisper number is a dollar twenty, and they they produce a dollar twenty. Well, based on analyst expectations of a dollar, that sounds like a big beat. But it was already priced in. It's already kind of known that they were probably going to make a dollar twenty anyway. And oftentimes that will, they will, the, the stock will sell off, especially if it's rallied into that earnings announcement, right? It's already discounted that earnings beat. So in a vacuum, that happens all the time. And, and frankly, it's more about what the company and analysts are thinking for the future quarters than what happened in the previous quarter, right? Because if they, if the whisper number is dollar twenty, they earned a dollar fifteen, which, you know, kind of disappointed. But guess what? They up their expectation for the next quarter and the next year. Market's going to ignore that. They're going to be, they're going to love the upgrades for the future quarters. Okay. So all that being said, when you're looking at individual names and they've gone up a ton, 
or on the opposite, they've gone down a ton and say they're going down and they, their earnings are really bad and they don't go down very much, you probably hit a bottom. Same with the top, right? Where something's gone up a ton and earnings beat, but they don't go up anymore, you've probably exhausted all the buyers there. So uh, I like what you're thinking about. You're actually right. There is some truth to your question. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888-992-4278. This is Invest Talk. I'd love to hear from you. Give me a call. Listening to Invest Talk. What a difference a year makes. A pandemic, financial shutdown, and market volatility. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 chart. Hello, Justin. First time caller here. Jair from US, but living in Japan. The question is about Amazon. Is it good or is too expensive to jump in right now? Or should I wait after the elections and all uncertainty that is still around from the coronavirus? Let me know. Thank you in advance. And I will be listening on the podcast. Thanks again. Well, this goes back to what I was saying before about the growth names, the techie names are uh, broadly overvalued. Now, Amazon, you can argue, I think, both ways. It has a market cap of $1.5 trillion, uh, pretty much clean balance sheet, which I like. Uh, but it's still trading at an enterprise value even at about 32 which is fairly expensive. But on the grand scheme of things of Amazon, it's that's not that expensive. Typically, it does trade uh, at pretty high multiples, but uh, I would like to own it closer to the low 20s as opposed to the low 30s. Uh, and this mainly goes back to my first topic, which was value stocks, small cap stocks outperforming the growthier names in the, the marketplace, and Amazon is certainly one of those. So it recently broke for the second straight day today below its 100-day moving average at about $3,000 it traded today. And as long as you're getting a rotation out of these tech names, right, if there's going to be more regulation, more scrutiny on their their tax situation, uh, I, I certainly think there's more downside for Amazon. So I would be patient on it. I would wait on it. Uh, certainly should be on everyone's watch list. Amazon is a great company at the right price, but too much uncertainty in the near term. So I would pass on it, especially with the technical situation rolling over right now. Let's go to Noel in Napa looking at ExxonMobil. Uh, good afternoon, Justin. Yes, uh, I have a long position in ExxonMobil, and down at these levels, uh, I'm kind of thinking maybe I should, should I'd like to add some more. And, and I think the dividend's around 10% at this level mm-hmm. still, and you think that could will hang in there? And also, uh, but I'm thinking, um, you know, Depending on who gets in on inauguration day, I should probably wait till inauguration day because one guy's uh, green energy and the other guy's for uh, oil. So, it would would you suggest it be better to wait to see which guy gets in? Uh, I don't think that has much basis in reality on the ground for oil companies. Uh, when it comes to, oh, Trump or Biden. Just look at the last decade plus, right? Oil stocks, energy stocks have done terrible under Trump. They did pretty well under Biden. 
the growth of shale oil and shale production was much higher under Obama than it was under Trump. And this isn't a political thing. I'm just looking at the facts. So don't think that the narrative that this, this, uh, this one's better than the other for the oil industry is actually going to play out on the grounds. What's most important are prices. And guess what? The presidents don't control the price of oil and natural gas. And so, no, I don't think you should wait till election day. I think you need to make a decision based on the current value of Exxon and its asset base and the future of oil. And guess what? We're not, even if we put a green initiative in, it's still going to take a long time to transition away from oil and natural gas. That's just the way it is. And so we like Exxon down here. I think it's a good value. Uh, certainly potential for more volatility over the next six months. But I do think that oil in the next six months will bottom. And where will it bottom? Where will the industry bottom? I don't know. But I believe that the imbalance in the marketplace is getting worn off. And it will accelerate here in the fourth quarter and into next year as the lack of investment in the first part of this year, starts to play out into lower production, especially on the shale side of the ledger in the industry. So I, I like Exxon down here. I think it's a great value. I like a lot of the oil plays, certainly ones that are bigger, have better balance sheets, have better assets. I think those are the ones that are going to pull through this better. For example, Exxon's supposed to make $1.40 next year, even based on these lower prices of oil and natural gas. So, uh, I, I think Amazon's, or sorry, Exxon's a great buy down here, and I would not wait until election day. And try not to get your politics. I talk about this all the time. It's very important. Don't get your politics mixed up with your investment decisions. I know it's hard. Money is emotional. Politics are emotional. But guess what? The market doesn't care about your political leaning. Markets will move the way that markets move. Now, can Will Biden maybe be tougher on the oil industry at the margins? Sure. Is that going to decimate the oil industry? No, because it's not possible. You're going to just, you would destroy the country. There'd be nobody driving cars and it would be politically untenable. And so don't let your politics drive your investment decisions. Make, let the facts, facts, not your emotions, drive your decisions. Now we're heading to the break. My phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. This is S-Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. And my focus point today concerns this warning from a Wells Fargo analyst. Brace for a fairly scary time on Wall Street. And this is coming from Michael Schumacher. This is the Wells Fargo's head of macro strategy. And he sees market turbulence ahead post the election. And one thing they're discounting is if the election results are delayed. And, 
you know, based on what I'm, I've studied, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think it's going to be fairly clear, right? You're, you're going to need such a tight race that one or possibly more of the states are within half a percent, quarter of a percent or less, right, to do some a recount, some sort of uh, lawsuit that stays the, the results of the election so that there is a recount, et cetera. I remember Florida back in 2000. So something like that. And I think that's a very low chance of that happening, right? <clears throat> remember, that would have to be one state that swings it one side or the other. If there's one state that's like that, but the election is fairly decided anyway, it's not really going to matter. Okay, so I don't really think that this is a high likelihood. I think it's fairly low, even though this analyst is down discounting it. There will almost certainly be a risk-off scenario without the case. Now, what he predicts is that lawmakers will ultimately pass some sort of aid plan, virus aid plan, right? Something like the, the CARES Act. Even if it comes later, this will drive yields higher and more deficit spending, which means more treasury supply and more importantly, risk off. Now, I, I don't, I don't believe that part. While I do think rates will rise and they are rising, the Fed is going to make sure that they don't rise too far, right? To break the mark. And that's really what the Fed's job has been really since you can call it 1987, the crash. Right, but really, since long-term capital management '98, right, was to reliquify the the markets, do whatever it takes to make sure there isn't a major risk-off event, and that's what we've been doing for 25 years or so. And I don't think they're going to backtrack. Right, they're they've handcuffed themselves to the wheel, and they are going. They're not getting out of the car. Right. They're going so fast with so much money printing, so much enabling of government spending that they can't reverse it, right? They can't go to a fiscally sane position or a monetarily sane position. They have to go with the flow. And the flow is higher deficits, more spending, and more debt. And they're going to monetize that debt into a level that keeps interest rates relatively low. Doesn't mean you can't have volatility in rates. You know, we're up to 0.85 or so on the 10 year. What are we at? What are we close today? Points. Yeah. 0.85. And could we get to one, maybe one and a quarter at most? Sure. But if that breaks the market, right? Breaks the, the housing market, breaks the, the corporate bond market, some major market, that's going to be an issue. And they're not going to let that happen. And so while I do think a risk-off event is certainly possible, and you could convince me more than likely, right, more than 50% chance, because that's what this is all about, right? It's about what are the chances, what are the odds? In the markets, if you process the information correctly, you can put the odds in your favor. And so are the odds higher than 50% that we have a sell-off? Sure. Does that mean you take some money off the table, maybe take a little profits, especially if you're in, your, in, in, in some tech stocks and some richly valued companies? Absolutely. But that does, does that mean there's also not opportunity? Not at all. Talked about it earlier, right? Small caps, value stocks, they're doing well, right? Amazon down today, Apple down today, Facebook 
down today. Shopify, down today, right? A lot of these very expensive names are rolling over. And so I see that as a potential for driving the market lower. But certain areas of the market may continue to go higher, to rally on the back of a potential stimulus. Now let's keep things moving. I'll go straight back to the 24-hour voice bank for a question that came in earlier from a listener in Illinois. Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Jay from Illinois. Love the show. I wanted to find out about Repay Holdings. That's ticker symbol RPAY. I've been looking at you know, companies in the payment processing space, and this one's been on my radar, and I wanted to get your take on it. Whether you think it's a buy or you know, if there's any potential headwinds upcoming. Thank you. Bye. All right, this is Repay Holdings, and it provides integrated payment processing solutions to verticals that have transaction processing needs. Uh, it allows customers to pay through mobile app, text, voice, virtual terminals, etc. So they're a payment processor. Small cap company, $1.7 billion market cap. I like the chart. The chart has rallied from the lows in March and has been consolidating here in the low to mid-20 range. So it's to make $0.61 cents next year, which... Still, that would be a little expensive based on uh, current price, but I like the momentum here, and I like the profitability long-term. Now they're losing money, but obviously that's uh, more pandemic-driven. So uh, I like the, the technical backdrop. I like the business that they're in. So uh, I'm actually a fan of this with a small allocation because it is so small. Thanks for the call. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Halloween is over, and I'd love to... Hear anything that is all in your mind? Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. 
Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's Monday, and we've all been watching market volatility. So you'll have important finance and investment questions. You're in luck. Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, but he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. My name is Nick, and I'm calling from Washington, D.C. I appreciate the show, and I listen regularly. You're doing a great service to us young folks uh, like myself who are looking to build wealth over the long run. I'm calling to further my understanding on a topic that was discussed recently on the show, investing through an LLC. Here's my situation. I typically funnel a portion of my income into an investment account with the goal of building a diversified portfolio that will beat the market over the next 10 to 20 years. I don't actively trade, but I do occasionally rebalance my portfolio. And when I do, I typically incur considerable capital gains taxes. If I were to change my strategy and start funneling my cash into an investment account owned by an LLC, would this strategy allow me to reduce my tax burden by writing off some of the capital gains taxes that the business may incur. Things I would write off include my home internet, my cell phone, maybe a home office expense, etc. I think this strategy has a second benefit since an LLC would limit my exposure to, uh, heaven forbid, things like a lawsuit or a bankruptcy. A few details about my personal situation. I do max out my 401k every year and I even utilize a backdoor Roth IRA. So these tax advantage approaches um, are already fully utilized. Also, if I were to form an LLC, I don't plan on inviting others to join since it would be strictly for my personal portfolio. So I'm trying to understand the taxes around forming an LLC since I think they may be you know, earned income and what's, what's, the, what's the real cost associated with, with this strategy. would love to hear your opinion. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Well, first off, I am not a CPA, neither is Steve. So that tax question and whether an LLC would be uh, would be effective in shielding yourself for, from some taxes would be more for somebody like that. So I definitely would talk to a CPA. And you're going to need a CPA if you're going to form an LLC anyway, right? You're going to file taxes. And there's costs to keep an LLC going, get it up and running, etc. So those costs would have to over override some of the the tax savings, right? The writing off, like you said, home office, personal expenses, et cetera, that may be quote unquote linked to uh, trading. Certainly some of those would be allowed, others not. And will it, will the actual tax savings be enough? I think is a, a big question. So uh, I would, I would ask the CPA. 
to be honest with you. So I like that you're maxing out your other tax deferred type of savings accounts as well. And sounds like you're saving a lot, which is the most important aspect. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888 We have about 20 minutes left in the show, so get your call in right now. Let's touch on a ruling by the SEC on Wednesday, and they shelved a measure that was intended to protect investors who trade in leveraged and inverse exchange-traded funds. And I've talked about this before. So many people want to buy these double leverage, triple leverage funds and with the idea that they think that's going to outperform the indexes. But over the long term, if you look at their price history, history, they don't do nearly as well because of something called, uh, what do they call it? I remember right off the top of my head. Uh, it's called, what, what, the, what is it called? Basically, I'm forgetting the name of it. Anyway, it's the volatility, the, the excess volatility basically strips out any of the advantage that le- leverage has. Okay, When things are good, the leverage funds do very well. When things aren't so good, they do exceedingly poorly, and that's the biggest problem. And investors are not aware of this. They don't understand that. Right? Uh, you can just look at something like TQQQ. That's a good example. Right back in February, it had a peak of $118 and a low of $33 and change, $32 and change. So it dropped 80%, roughly. And a lot of investors don't understand that level of risk. Now, the amount of money in these leveraged and inverse ETFs is no small amount anymore. $33.4 billion in assets. That's more than all the money that's held in mutual funds. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at billions and trillions, excuse me. So it's it's still large. $33 billion is still large. The, the mutual fund one is in the trillions. So excuse me, it, I looked at that. It confused me for a second. But yes, $33 billion is still a lot. Now, what's interesting is that lobbyists for ProShares and Direction, the main sponsors of these leverage ETFs, they met or had teleconferences with the SEC officials nine times between March and July before the vote came out on this. Now, the SEC is saying the decision to shelve the provision is because of 6,000 letters and find themselves as investors concerned about losing access to these funds. And I find that a little fishy. Now, the rule was approved three to two. And the two dissenters were Democratic commissioners. And so you can see the Republicans were against the increasing disclosures, regulation around these type of investments. That does not mean that investors aren't confused or misled by these risks that are out there and the unique characteristics that they impose. And they said in the quote, we are concerned that retail investors are independently selecting complex products for which they may not fully appreciate the unique characteristics and risks. 
They also said the fact that other products represent similar dangers should not deter us from addressing the harm to retirees, middle-class savers, and other retail investors that is presently and squarely before us. So clearly there's still a lot of concern with these ETFs, and it's just a message to you that use these very carefully. These are not buy and hold instruments. They are trading vehicles only. Now I think we fit another caller question in, in here, so let's get to it. It came in earlier at 888.99 chart. Hey Steve, I'm a relatively new listener and I wanted to know your opinion on Workhorse Group. They were really low last year, around $3, and spiked around $30, I think, but they're back down to 17 And I just want to know if you think that's going to keep going down or if it's going to rise back up around the $30 range. Thank you. I think this is going to come back down. Now, I remember there was some news. This is Workhorse Group for everyone else. They design and manufacture high-performance, medium-duty trucks under the Workhorse chassis brand. And I believe they got some sort of contract or something that's going to give them a lot of sales in the future. The problem is, is that analysts have had enough time over the past year or so to work through this contract that they uh, that they landed. I believe this that's what it was, if I'm remembering correctly. And analysts still think they're going to lose money next year. $0.29 cents to, be in fact, to, to, to be exact. And so... You know, I, I'm just not a fan of this. Technically, it's in a downtrend. It's now 48% off its recent high, which was not long ago, right? Its recent high was just in September at $31. Now it's at 16 So to me, this is more of a narrative stock. It's not backed up by sales or earnings. I would absolutely pass. I'm Justin Klein, you're listening to Invest Talk, and you are not alone. As you might assume, the greatest number of our listeners are here in the U.S. And after the U.S., we have those in Canada, the U.K., and really all around the world. For example, Australia, we had 69,000 downloads last month. Germany, more than 36,000. Singapore, 34,000. China and Japan combined have produced over 50,000. And the list goes on and on. So, Steve and I thank you for downloading Invest Talk and also for telling your friends and family members about our free investing and financial podcast. Please keep those calls, questions, and emails coming. And remember, our website, investtalk.com, has a number of great resources for you to help you build a solid financial future. And of course, you can always call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California at 888. 888- 90, uh, sorry, 800-557-5461. We would love to help you. We want to help you. But for now, our phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing and the other KPP Financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi there. Love you guys' show. 
First time caller, new listener as well. My name is Tyler from Costa Mesa, California. Hey, I had a quick question. I just wonder what you guys make of this uh, happening in the market lately where a company reports their earnings and they beat expectations. You know, for example, Activision, uh, TVI, they just go down, going down like 5%, 7% or more, or a little bit less. But it's happening all throughout, and it doesn't matter if it's a green or a red day in the market so much. But I'm just seeing more and more of this. And one thing that's really stuck for me from your program is when you guys say if a company beats expectations on earnings, they're expected to go up. That's always been a good indicator for me to buy more. But I'm just not really seeing that lately in the market. Yeah, it's been hurting me. So just curious what your take is on it and uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's great. Love it. Thanks so much. Well, I kind of answered this question a little bit earlier uh, in the show on a previous question. But what I can add to it is the fact that, yeah, on Activision, for example, that's a a very techie growth stock that is highly valued. And so even though analysts, it might be to analyst expectations, it can certainly fall. And remember, you're just looking at headline numbers. Analysts and investors often look deeper into the company and they say, or into the earnings and say, are, are these quality earnings? What does it look like going forward? Does it, should it get this type of multiple that it's trading at based on those earnings as well and the growth of those earnings? Okay. So that's certainly something that I'm, uh, I'm interested in. I think for the video game makers, one of my big question marks with them is the future of the platform, right? They need to be on the platform. They need to be on Xbox. They need to be on PlayStation. The power is going to be on the platform providers. Think of Facebook, right? Think of Amazon. These are platforms, Okay. And so that's what's interesting to me, and uh, that's why I would, uh, you know, a lot of these video game makers I'm not a big fan of. Let's go to Emilio in San Francisco looking at Disney. Sir, Justin, how are you? Good, Emilio. How are you? I'm fine. I'm just, uh, thank you for the show, man. It's, it's uh, you know, great advice. I wanted to just see your take on Disney. Yeah, um, Disney, I'm still not, I don't think it's cheap enough yet. Uh, you know, we looked at a lot of reopening plays. We're, we're looking at them. We're doing a lot of research on many potential reopening plays. And what we're looking for are, are ones that are clearly undervalued if you get to some semblance of normalcy. And not only is Disney, I think, a ways away from that some semblance of normalcy, more than a lot of other companies that are in the reopening camp, um, but I don't think they're cheap enough, okay? And so, uh, and technically, it's weak, very weak. Rolled over, making lower lower highs, lower lows. And so, while I like Disney at the right price, at $120 per share, 20, only 21% off its two-week high, even though earnings from 2018 to this year, $7 to $1.52, and only back to $2.58 next year. So... I just don't see a compelling value for Disney quite yet. I think the pessimism around their business needs to hit some fervor. And I think that's well below $100 a share. At 90, that's where I would say, okay, now we're starting, so we're starting to get it to an area where the value is reasonable for the amount of risk in the business. Okay. 
I love Disney at the right price, just not at this price. Thanks for the call. I think we can squeeze one more quick question in here. Let's get to it right now. Hi, this is Chris from Massachusetts. Just calling to see what you think of Iron Mountain, IRM, for long-term holds for the dividend. Thank you. All right, Iron Mountain, 9.3% yield. And the biggest issue with that yield, though, is the, the debt. Uh, they have a decent amount of debt. Now, I think the business is going to be fine. They produce enough cash flows to carry the debt, to carry the business. But I don't think that they're going to keep that dividend longer term. Uh, their payout ratio right now is hundred and sorry, 351% based on earnings, 167% based on cash flow, and they have about $11 billion in debt. And so remember this about all business, all, all equities. They need to pay their debt holders first before they pay you their dividend. Now they're going to want to keep that going and they're going to want to up it. But the problem is, is they're on an unsustainable path in that regard. So I think eventually the debt is going to force them to either stop growing that dividend or likely cut it. Um, so it doesn't mean I don't like the company. Just don't think that you're going to get that dividend in perpetuity. It's likely to be adjusted over the longer term. So I still like the business and the valuation overall. You know, trading 12 months, they did $400 billion in free cash flow. And you're talking about a $7 billion market cap. That's, that's decent. It's not as attractive as it was at 52-week low at 21, but it's at 26, not far above it. Um, so risk reward, I like Iron Mountain, but don't think that the dividend is going to be your savior. 8899 chart, give me a call. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Raphael in the Bay Area. Wants to talk about small cap stocks. Hi, Justin. Yes. Okay, so I'm 24, and I'm looking to take on a lot of small cap exposure. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, should I tilt toward value or growth or a blend? Well, I would say value in this uh, in this market. Value to growth dispersion is at a record high, uh, meaning value stocks are very cheap in relation to their their growth brethren. So I would say I would lean towards value, and you're starting to see that shift as well. If you watch my YouTube videos every Friday, you'll see that I'm sh I'm showing the the, the ratio between the growth side of the market, SPYG, to the value, SPYV, and you're starting to see this consistent roll over uh, and starting to break the uptrend that you've seen since March. So uh, I absolutely think the value side is more attractive in this market than the growth side. Would you say that would hold true in the long run? In the long run, value does do better. Uh, now, you probably, if you look over the last 10 years, you, if that's all the only time frame you're looking at, then yeah, then growth will look better. But over the longer term, you're talking 30, 40, 50, 100 years, value stocks do better than growth. Thanks for the call. 
8899 chart, 8899 Now, oh, since March, there has been about a trillion dollars in bonds issued by American companies. And the big question is, what are they doing with that money? Now, Columbia Business School studied 9,500 bond sales over that time frame. And they found that the vast majority of that capital was used to pay down credit lines or replace older debt that was coming due. And not investing it in the economy. right? So shoring up balance sheets and hoarding cash not investing in their operations. And this is one of the likely reasons we're seeing a slowdown in the recovery of the economy. If you look at the data, part of that has to do with the stimulus wearing off, but it's also businesses, they got their PPP money, they didn't fire enough workers or too many workers so that that money was then forgiven, it became a grant, not a loan, and now they're free to lay off workers and now they have a repaired balance sheet. That's basically what's happened since the beginning of the pandemic. And if you're looking at big companies, for example, Chevron, they raised $5.5 billion in the first quarter and $1.7 billion in the second quarter. Coca-Cola, they sold a total of $11.5 billion in debt in March and April, even though they had $8.8 billion in untapped credit lines. So over 40% of the companies that issued bonds between March and the end of June didn't draw down existing credit lines. So they wanted to keep that powder dry, right? their credit lines with their banks, and tap the bond market, which is being supported by the Federal Reserve, right? who are buying up these investment-grade bonds and junk bonds. And so that's an interesting statistic when you're looking at what does the Fed buying bonds or liquefying the market do for the real economy? And the answer is not a whole lot because the company's first duty is to the shareholder, right? To make sure that they don't go bankrupt. And so when the Fed supports the bond market, Yes, it, quote-unquote, keeps jobs intact, but only for a short period of time. And it also leaves a lot of companies still in business that probably shouldn't be in business. And guess what? Bankruptcies, a lot of times, are good. They're good for economies. Why? New management comes in. Rethink strategy. If they're struggling so much, they're on the brink of bankruptcy. Guess what? They probably need new management. And what the Fed has done to boost up the corporate bond market, that has kept a lot of businesses either not stimulating the economy and have just stronger balance sheets, or companies in business that, that are in business that shouldn't be and are dragging down the overall economy. Now, tomorrow on Best Talk, we will look into the story. The big malls are being dragged into bankruptcy by the carnage of the retail tenants. I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. Please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free over at investtalk.com, as well as iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And we encourage you to leave a review. Now, if you want to listen live, you can also hear it on investtalk.com every weekday from 4 to 5 Pacific time, streaming live. Just click on the Listen Live button. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. 
Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 